Are you looking for a podcast that your whole family can enjoy that asks the deep philosophical questions like, do trees fart? If you are, then you'll love Tumble, a science podcast for kids. I'm Lindsay. And I'm Marshall. Join us as we explore stories of science discovery, from butts to animals, dinosaurs, astronomy, and everything in between. You'll love these stories, and you'll learn something new. Find and follow Tumble Science Podcast for Kids wherever you get your podcasts, or at sciencepodcastforkids.com. You're walking down the street when a small basement storefront catches your eye. You look around to see if anyone notices you before walking down a few steps and tentatively pushing the door open. A bell jingles, announcing your presence. It's quiet. And then, a voice from the other room says, Come in. At the back of the store, a woman wearing a colorful scarf and mysterious-looking jewelry offers you a seat across from her at the table. She begins to shuffle a deck of cards. Did you come in here to have your fortune told? She says. Um, yes, you gulp, suddenly anxious. How much does it cost? Oh, not much, she says, pausing and looking deep into your eyes. Just a piece of your eternal soul. Ha 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 ha. Okay, so maybe I got a little carried away with that story. But what did you think? Does that sound like the idea of a fortune teller you might have in your head? If I say the words crystal ball or palm reading, who or what do you picture? What about if I say the words tarot cards? If you ask most people about any of these things, they may describe a scene something like the one I just made up, even though those three things, palm reading, crystal balls, and tarot cards, have little to do with one another, and pretty much nothing to do with what I described. So, where did that idea come from? Of all the things that we associate with, there's a lot more to tarot cards and their readers than this stereotype. I'm Elise Parisian, and today we're going to dive into the history and meaning of tarot cards. Where did they come from? Are they magical? Can they tell the future? And why do so many people associate them with that word, occult? All on this episode of Unspookable. They look like they have different people in settings, and they have, like, wands, swords, that kind of stuff, but it's not, like, a fighting game. You would think, if you heard about that, you would think it's a fighting game. Nope, it's not a fighting game. So, first of all, what even are tarot cards? Most tarot decks contain 78 cards, divided into two categories. The 22 cards of the Major Arcana, also known as the Greater Secrets, Trump Cards, or Triumph Cards, each have unique names and imagery. The Major Arcana contains cards like the Magician, who is often depicted as a man with props performing stage magic with a sideways figure eight of the infinity symbol somewhere on the card. The sun card often has a young child riding a white horse underneath a bright sun that has a face on it. 
The card called Justice usually has a figure holding balancing scales. There are different names for each of the 22 major arcana, including the Lovers, the Hermit, the Devil, the Tower, the Hanged Man, and Death, all with vastly different meanings. The other part of the tarot deck, the Minor Arcana, or Lesser Secrets, includes 56 cards, divided into four suits with 14 cards each, 10 numbered cards, and four court cards. If you think this sounds a lot like a normal deck of cards, like what you might use to play Go Fish, then you're right. But instead of diamonds, hearts, clubs, and spades, the four suits of tarot are swords, pentacles, wands, and cups. And the court cards are the king, queen, knight, and page. So instead of the jack of spades, in a tarot deck you might have the page of wands. There are a lot of parallels between playing cards and tarot cards, because both came from the same family tree, with tarot actually coming first. Although we associate playing cards with European or Western traditions, people in China and many regions of the Middle East had versions of playing cards hundreds of years before they came to Europe. Islamic soldiers first introduced playing cards in Spain between the 13 and 1500s, while the Mamluk Sultanate of Egypt fought for territory in Europe. Some sources say the soldiers played a game called Naib, or the Game of Lieutenants, in which the suits were similar to those that we see now in tarot. These cards would have had patterns, or symbols, or indicators for the card number, but not figures, since a lot, though not all, of Islamic art does not depict human figures. Then from Spain, playing cards spread all over Europe, and to Italy, where what we now know as tarot first developed. While little is known about how the rules developed, many historians believe that tarot began in Italy as a game called Trionfi, Tarocchi, or later, Tarak. In addition to playing games that may have had rules more like the modern-day game of bridge, the Memluck cards were adapted to have a more elaborate design and figures, with unique decks commissioned by wealthy Italian noble families. They would draw the cards at random and use them to tell stories and make up silly poems about each other. A game of creativity, rather than one with mystical connections. Remember in the Ouija board episode, when we talked about how talking boards started as more of a game and wasn't originally associated with anything magical? Interestingly enough, the same is true with the game of tarot. Before the cards developed into what they are today, playing a game of tarot in, say, the 17 or 1800s would probably have the same meaning as playing a game of poker or spades. So when and how did tarot begin to have a different meaning? In 1781, a French occultist named Antoine Court de Gébelon published a series of eight books called The Primeval World. Gébelon was obsessed with almost any idea or piece of history he came across that had anything to do with the paranormal or magical. Around Gébelon's time, an occultist was simply someone who believed in deeper supernatural or spiritual realities, not just things that could be proven by science. The word occult comes from the Latin word occultus, meaning hidden or secret. So occultists were people who sought knowledge of the secret, like astrology, alchemy, or natural magic, as opposed to knowledge of the measurable or scientific knowledge. So what comes to mind when you think of the word occult? For lots of us, it may make us think about scary rituals or dark magic, but really those things are only a small part of what occult could describe. There are many things that people believe in that just simply can't be proven. A cult is just another word for that. But 
Back to Jebelon. So, in one of the many books that Jebelon wrote, this guy really thought he had some cool ideas. He talked about the meaning of tarot cards. Without any evidence whatsoever, he claimed that when he first saw a tarot deck, he knew that it was related to the secrets of the Egyptians. Remember how some people told each other that Charlie Charlie had to do with Mexican culture, probably because that made it sound more exciting? Well, many French people that read Jebelon's work started assigning meaning to tarot that had to do with ancient religions that they were likely misinterpreting. One branch of tarot refers to it as the Book of Tote, Tote being another name for the Egyptian god Horus. In 1851, another Frenchman who went by the name Eliphas Levi wrote The Doctrine of Ritual and High Magic, another book that discusses tarot. Levi was a follower of German Dr. Franz Mesmer, who believed in animal magnetism, or the idea that all living beings had an invisible, natural force that could be used for healing. Dr. Mesmer's name is where the word mesmerize comes from, since part of his work was about the healing powers of hypnotism and inducing trance-like states. Levi believed that if people studied supernatural or magical forces, they could use them to help each other, and human society would improve. While that may sound silly to a lot of us, Levi believed in magic, the way that lots of people believe that scientific advances can improve the human condition. Levi also mistakenly associated tarot with the ancient Egyptians, and with Kabbalah, an ancient Jewish tradition of mystical interpretation of the Bible. Even though Jebelon and Levi were completely wrong, and were talking about Egyptian and Jewish history that they actually had no knowledge of, their writing did lead to the practice of modern tarot reading. People began to use the cards for divination, or a ritual that attempts to answer questions or gain insight into situations. Before the 1780s, tarot had simply been a card game. But by the 1800s, all of a sudden, people were investigating it as a tool to help answer life's questions. Divination comes from the words divine, or in Latin, divinare, to foresee. The late 1800s in Europe and in the U.S. saw a renewed interest in different magical or supernatural practices, like spiritualism that we talked about in connection to the Ouija boards. Levi's writing influenced a whole generation of spiritualists and practitioners of magic, some of whom established the Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn. Founded in London in 1887, the order was devoted to the study and practice of the occult, metaphysics, and paranormal activities. Members believed that humans could improve themselves through study of the classic elements, earth, water, fire, and air, and by studying astrology, tarot, and geomancy, a method of divination that looks at patterns in soil and sand and rocks. The Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was structured after lots of societies and clubs based on different interests. However, even though the order was founded by men, women were allowed and encouraged to join. Unlike a lot of other exclusionary organizations, the order believed that magic could benefit all people, and everyone should be able to study it together. Okay, so we're getting closer to modern-day tarot. What do you think? Does all this magic talk sound interesting? weird? Do you think these people should have gone and done a science project instead? Maybe so. But the study of tarot was just starting to reflect what modern readers study today. So what is that exactly? Good question. There are millions of people who use tarot all over the world today. 
Whether they believe it is connected to magical forces or not, many people believe that the meanings of the cards, in combination with the chance order that they're placed in for the reading, can help us think through difficult questions, realize aspects of our subconscious, and help us work towards different goals or fulfillment in life. I don't believe they can tell you future, but I do believe they can give you some advice. I think they can since when I did it, it totally told me. It totally told what, uh, what's happening in my life. Now that you know about the history of tarot, how does a reading actually work? Well, there are actually many ways. Most likely, you would go see someone who knows the cards really well. Or you could do it yourself, but it takes a lot of practice, and depending how much time you have and what you're curious about, your reader will decide what kind of spread to use. Some of the most common spreads are the three-card spread, which is pretty quick and tells you the past, present, and future of a situation, or as related to a specific question that you have. There's also the Celtic cross spread, which uses 10 cards to give a really broad look at the context surrounding your question. As the reading begins, the order in which the cards are placed has different meanings. For example, the first card laid out represents the person who is asking the question, and the ninth card represents the hopes and desires of the asker. Someone who knows the deck really well can look at all these cards and understand the relationships between them to hopefully give you some answers. I know it's a lot of information, so I'm going to do a little sample reading for myself right now using the three-card spread so you can get a better idea of how it goes. I'm a beginner, so I like to use a book to help me understand the different cards. For my question, I'm thinking about school. Do you ever get overwhelmed by homework and friends and family with all of the other things you're supposed to be doing? Me too. I'm in grad school for art, which doesn't have the most predictable outcome, so I'm just curious about the path I'm on. Okay, so I have shuffled the Rider weight deck that I use, and I'm going to cut it twice. Some people believe there are very specific numbers of times you're supposed to do things to prepare for a reading. I usually just shuffle until I get a feeling that the deck is ready. So first, I'm going to pull the card that represents the past, which is the star. Next, I'm pulling the card that represents the present, which is the Wheel of Fortune. And third, I'm pulling the future card, which is the Six of Wands. The star and the Wheel of Fortune are both from the Major Arcana, and since there's less of them, it's pretty exciting to get two. So the star, which shows a woman kneeling near a pond with two jugs of water. One of them is being poured into the pond, and the other onto some grass. Above her is a big yellow star, and then seven smaller white stars. The star card is about the distant future. It's a glimmer of hope that you're meant to follow and hold on to as a guide. The book that I use, called Thirteen's Tarot Card Meetings, says, What do we want bad enough that we will go the distance for it? The Wheel of Fortune shows many different figures, four with wings that are reading books in four corners of the cards. A snake, a sphinx, and a dog-like figure surround a circle in the center that has different symbols on it. This card represents the way that in life, sometimes things happen that are beyond your control. And sometimes, you get really lucky. It's also about change and cycles of ups and downs. The appearance of this card generally means that good fortune is on its way. The final card, representing the future, is the Six of Wands. This card is a victory card. 
you see a person riding a horse with a wreath on their head and another wreath on top of the wand that's being held. The other wands are being held by people standing around the horse. The figure looks really proud. However, the card also comes with a warning that one can't get too comfortable or reliant on the applause and that in order to stay successful, you have to keep doing good work. Wow, I really couldn't have asked for a better reading. What I ultimately take away from this is that I followed my guiding light to grad school and now things are changing for the better and good fortune is in the air and that if I continue on the path that I'm on, things are gonna work out so long as I stay humble and focused. Not too shabby, huh? While today I pulled cards that have pretty positive images and connotations, there are some cards that people can sometimes be afraid of because of their dark connections, such as the devil or the death card. The good news is that even though these cards sound like they might be scary, their real meaning can be much more positive. While the death card can sometimes be about the end of a human life, what the card is really about is endings. The end of a school year or the end of an era. You could almost think about this card as being about transformation or rebirth, because when one thing ends, another begins. Not so scary anymore, right? The devil card isn't depicting Satan, but Pan, the half-goat god of nature, or the god Dionysus. These gods represent pleasure and desire, and ask the questioner to really question themselves about what might be controlling too much of your life. Like, for example, Maybe you feel like you've been spending too much time on social media and it isn't making you feel good anymore. The devil card is meant to call your attention to those maybe not so healthy relationships. So really, the card is looking out for you. So where we might think of a stereotype of a fortune teller answering a question like, who is my true love? Tarot actually goes deeper than that and asks us to ask some questions of ourselves. Instead of being a prediction, a tarot reading might help us think about what we want out of a partnership or a relationship. What qualities could be standing in the way of making connections with people and how we might open ourselves up to love. Think about it as a way to look at problems in your life you may be facing from the outside in. A way to answer your own questions about yourself without bias. If you get a tarot reading today, the cards could have many different illustrations of the same basic cards. While there are infinite possibilities for how the cards might look, there are three relatively common decks that you might see. The Tarot of Marseille, also widely known by the French designation Tarot de Marseille, is one of the first decks to be standardized in France around the 1700s. Tote Tarot was painted by Lady Frida Harris, according to instructions from Alistair Crowley. Crowley referred to this deck as the Book of Tote, from the idea that Jebelon introduced about Tarot's connection to Egyptian beliefs, and wrote a book to go along with the deck. Crowley was an English occultist, ceremonial magician, poet, painter, novelist, and mountaineer, working primarily in the mid-1900s. Although Crowley came to have a reputation as someone trying to sell false ideas about magic for his own gain, his work with Tarot did introduce many more people to the cards. The most popular deck used today, which contains some of the most iconic images, is the Rider Waite deck, which is the one I used for my reading, originally published in 1910. The cards were drawn by illustrator Pamela Coleman-Smith, from the instructions of academic and mystic A.E. Waite. The deck was then published by the Rider Company. 
chances are that if you have an idea of what a certain card looks like, like the star, for instance, that image probably came from this deck. Eliphas Levi wrote, Magic is the divinity of man, conquered by science in union with faith. Sounds pretty intense, right? There could be a lot of interpretations of this definition, but one thing is clear. Levi and many people that study tarot or anything we might relate to magic do have systems of belief that are just as important to them as any that are more widely accepted by society. Yes, there may be belief systems or rituals that try to tap into supernatural knowledge or power that seem pretty intense. Some people might even consider tarot to be one of those. Perhaps that's why some associate tarot with summoning demons or dealing in the dark arts, which kind of doesn't really mean anything, by the way. But if there's one thing we've talked about over and over again on this show, it's that humans really, really super want to know things. We want answers, and we want them to come from somewhere, even if we can't quite explain it. Have you ever used a magic eight ball? Or a paper fortune teller that some of us might call a cootie catcher or a chatterbox? While these things are far less complex than what a tarot reader does, they all tap into the same thing. The human quest for answers that might help us lead better lives, or at the very least, have more fun thinking about what the future could hold. Thanks for listening to Unspookable. I'm your host, Elise Parisian. This episode was written by Eleanor Riley Condit with myself and Nate Dufort. Produced and edited by Nate Dufort. Our theme song and additional music composed by Jesse Case. Our logo was created by Natalie Kewen. And special thanks this week to our guests Al and Blythe. You can catch six-year-old Al with his father Jeff on the family-friendly Cadavercast, a father-son monster movie podcast, available wherever you get your podcasts. Are you enjoying the show so far? Then make sure you subscribe to Unspookable on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen. While you're there, we'd love if you could leave us a rating and a review. Unspookable is part of the Soundsington Audio Network, committed to making quality programming for young audiences and the young at heart. For more information on our shows and the people behind them, go to www.soundsingtonmedia.com. You do not want to get the upside down hanged of man. That means too selfish? That kind of means me, but it kind of doesn't. There was a card that was totally me. It it meant that the you respect the people around you and um they respect you. Let Mysteries at Midnight be your destination for detective whodunits and captivating mystery stories. You'll hear classic stories like Sherlock Holmes, Agatha Christie's Poirot, and short tales from H.G. Wells, Charles Dickens, Edgar Allan Poe, and others. I'm Christopher, and I read these classic stories in the soothing style of a bedtime story, so you can listen to them in bed when you drift off to sleep. Search for Mysteries at Midnight on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favourite podcast app, and follow and subscribe so you don't miss out on new episodes.